Hello and welcome to Designer Talks podcast from the Charter Society of Designers. I'm your host, Lefteris Heretakis, and our guest today is Peter Karn. Welcome, Peter. Hi there. Good to be here. It's fantastic to have you here. So tell us about yourself. Um, yeah, well, um, so I, uh, I work in exhibition design or experiential design. Um, I've done that now for over 20 years, I think. Um, I think it's that long. Um, I, uh, I kind of started originally as an industrial designer, um, or that's what I studied, um, and then went on from there to study spatial design, uh, interior architecture, that kind of thing. Um, and then from there, I uh, didn't really know what design was, if I'm honest. I went to university, studied design, I think pretty much because I could draw. I think that was that was a big thing. Didn't really know what I wanted to do with my career uh, and sort of fell into it a little bit. Um, but I think the more I the more I practiced it, the more I learned about it. I think the more I realized I had a, an interest in it and hopefully an aptitude for it. Um, and I think this sort of career evolved similarly from there. And, um, you know, I started doing, um, you know, my first job was in uh, sort of corporate exhibitions and trade stands and things like that. I then went on to do a little bit in workplace design, interior design, um, and then kind of fell into designing museums and permanent exhibitions and things like that. And, and I think that was that was kind of a big moment for me where I, I didn't even know that career existed. Um, I, as a lot of young creatives at that time, do you send your CVs out and your folio, you're kind of happy to get a job, <laughs> to get any job. Um, and you discover people and you discover practices and uh, techniques that you didn't think even existed. And you start to learn from them, you start to adapt them. Um, and yeah, and then have been designing experiences, uh, museum galleries, uh, world expos, um, and any kind of space that tells a story. I've been doing that now for, well, yeah, uh, just over 20 years. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Fantastic. So how did it all start? At what age did you, did you realize? <laughs> um, I, I do you know what I don't really know the answer to that question if I'm honest like I said my, my career kind of chose me rather than I chose it I it was never like I was eight years old and yes I want to be a I want to be a designer um I, I think it, it my parents were were both well they were sort of yin and yang I guess one was a structural engineer civil engineer um and my father and my mother was a was a fine artist uh, or still is a fine artist. My, my dad's retired now, but yeah, my my mother's a, a practicing fine artist. So I think I was the sort of marriment of those two things, uh, of, of that kind of structure and creativity, the two things. I sort of hope I took the best of both, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they'll disagree with that. But I think that was always, again, it was it was something that I never really knew that I wanted to do. But at school, I, I just was always good at drawing, you know, and I always like to, to draw things and imagine things and create things. Um, I used to get in quite a lot of trouble with my art tutors or art teachers because um, I, I always wanted to draw things that were in my head uh, or draw things that I'd imagined. Um, and they always used to tell me off because I know it's a craft. You need to do still life. You need to draw landscapes or you need to draw portraits. You need to learn form. And you do that by looking at things and, and, and recording them. And I sort of 
I, I kind of never wanted to do that. I wanted to imagine things. I, I can sort of see the arrogance and naivety of myself when I was that age uh, and why my teachers used to get so frustrated with me. But also I thought it was interesting that when I discovered design, that's kind of what you're encouraged to do. You're encouraged to conjure something from things you look at or things you know or things you see or things that you can sort of envisage or imagine um, and create things based on that. And I think that was probably something that drew me to it. But look, I'm not going to lie. I could draw. So I went to um, I went to art college and I studied design uh, and I think I spent two years of that course not really knowing what, what the hell I was doing, but getting the old good mark and and sort of scraping through. But I think it was later that I started to realise what I was actually doing um, and what the value of it was. Uh, but it took quite a long time for me to get to that. Um, I think maybe I, I don't know, slightly resisted it a little bit. I don't know. Why that is, I'm not entirely sure. Um, probably because I thought it was quite a confined thing. But the more I explored it and the more I uh, was sort of encouraged by my tutors to think differently, I think that opened me up to other uh, other kind of possibilities and other uh, other avenues, and I think that's when it became really really interesting. Um, so yeah, I uh, I still not sure I know the answer to that question, but um, that's kind of the path I took. I think a lot a lot of uh, creatives have that um, similar experience. You know, you never really look at your your career path and plan it all out from the very very beginning you sort of try and discover different things you meet different people and they take you on different routes different paths and before you know it you end up doing something that you didn't even know existed or was possible i mean i never knew that there were uh, exhibition designers you know when i was a um when i was a kid or sort of when i was even when i was at uni um it was something that i kind of happened upon i'm glad i did because i don't know what i'd be doing otherwise um but uh, uh but yeah i think i was fortunate in that sense so you 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 have never thought about an alternative career if you couldn't do that um i mean i think uh, uh when i was younger i i used to uh i used to illustrate a lot i used to uh, i was a huge fan of you know like the the kind of british comics you know like 2000 ad and and judge dread and you know all the kind of all those sort of you know muscles and guns and you know, people's heads getting blown up by lasers and, you know, all that certain and kind of, you know, big sort of industrial robots and all that kind of stuff. I just thought that was a whole other world on a page. I thought was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen, you know, when I was a sort of snotty nosed kid. Um, and so I always was quite influenced by that. And I always started to, you know, create my own stories and, and draw my own comic strips. I thought that they were the best thing since 2000 AD, but I think I look back again, maybe a bit of naivety, but um, that was sort of a career path that I wanted to do. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that was always something that I thought about maybe doing. Um, and I, to be honest, I probably wasn't good enough. I was certainly, you know, Greg Staples. Um, but, you know, I, I, I could illustrate well enough to impress my mates and go, yeah, look at this cool thing that I've done. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. But doing it professionally, I think, was another matter. Again, maybe a bit of naivety. So I think I think that was a path. I think I think I was always sort of weirdly in, uh, influenced uh, uh, on the kind of completely opposite side by my dad. Uh, him being an engineer, um, a civil engineer, because he was sort of so fascinated by how things worked um, and would always sort of take things apart and put them back together. 
Um, so I always uh, I get I always had that fascination. I used to do the same thing. I used to get like a radio and just like take it to pieces and then try and put it back together. I didn't always do it successfully. Um, and that that was always a fascination. But, but I think it was something that I knew I, I don't know, I wasn't that good at at first, but was sort of interested in. I thought that was all that that was uh, that was quite interesting uh, for me. Um, I never thought I was that practical with my hands. I was good at drawing and imagining things, but not particularly good at making things. Um, so that, but I, I, but I wanted to be because my dad was. So that that was always something I sort of, I don't know, smashed up radios and tried to put them back together in my spare time, as well as drawing uh, uh, comic strips, um, trying to be you know two thousand AD illustrator, but. Yeah, I, I think beyond that, there was a weird time where I wanted to be a police officer. I, I don't know what was going through my head then. You know, the that, that would not, yeah, that would not have been a good career choice for me. <laughs> uh, having a slight problem with authority, <laughs> um, uh, that that um, yeah, that wouldn't have worked out well. Um, thank God things ended up the way they did. <laughs> are you are you collecting comics now or? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I used to, uh, I was never a serious collector, you know, I, I could never keep them in good enough condition. You know, I, I would always sort of, I, I'd sort of obsessed over them, but in more in terms of the, the illustration style. Um, and I'd sort of try and replicate that. I remember buying an airbrush once and making a terrible mess. Um, <laughs> actually I used to do a thing where I used to, <laughs> this is, I'm not sure I should be admitting this, but I used to buy little pots of acrylic paint. Yes. So I used to draw like a scene on a, I used like one of my, my dad's old drawing boards. Cause he had quite a few, uh, back in the days where all, you know, all his drawings are all by hand. And I, I used to draw a scene normally of somebody getting exploded in some way or shape or form um by you know a certain 2080 character but i used to put the little pot of paint on the illustration and i had a as a lot of children did growing up in the countryside which is where i grew up um i had a, 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 a little air a little pellet gun so i put a little pot of paint on it and then i'd stand at the other side of my room and i'd shoot the pot of paint so it sort of splattered all over oh. the illustration um uh, I was no Jackson Pollock, you know, um, but uh, I, and again, I thought that was sort of really cool. You know, that was my version of being punk, I yeah. suppose. <laughs> but I don't know. There were sort of things like that that I um, uh, that's how I used to spend a lot of my spare time. Um, but I think, yeah, I always found kind of I don't know, as all kids do, you're just sort of playing around with your, you're, you're sort of piddling around with things, aren't you? You know, in your in your spare time. But um, but yeah. That's, that's very interesting. So what has been your most rewarding design experience? Um, I don't know. Again, uh, it's a very difficult question to answer. I mean, I can talk about projects I've done. I mean, I've, I've done some sort of projects that, that I'm quite proud of. Hmm. Um, we just um, we finished the Mobility Pavilion at the Dubai Expo. Um, big, huge experiential project. Work with some incredible people, um, you know, amazing client, really forward thinking, really want to push the envelope, amazing collaborators, you know, like people that design movie production uh, sets and things like that, Weta Workshop out in New Zealand and Magnopus out of Los Angeles and all incredible engineers and, you know, huge casts of people. I was a sort of, you know, played a role in that huge cast. But then other other projects like the Blink, Blink project we did for Sight Savers, um, that was that was a great moment, and that was all about raising awareness of um, 
sight loss um, and we created a an art exhibition that when you blinked, it destroyed a piece of the exhibition digitally when you were actually in the space. So that was great. And again, you know, fantastic collaborations. But I think I think one of the things is that, uh, you know, the, the, as 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 I've matured in my career, as I've got a bit older, um, you sort of realise that you don't really have an individual doesn't have ownership on projects. So all the projects I've done that I've been the most proud of, if it was just me, they wouldn't have been anything like what they were. It was all the other people, all the other collaborations, all those conversations where you bounce off of each other, where that magic happens, where, where things crackle, where the alchemy occurs. You know, you walk into a room thinking, we don't have an idea what the hell are we going to do? And you come out of that room with something, you know, and all you've done is sat in a room with bits of paper and post-it notes and chatted backwards and forwards. And suddenly you've got this incredible vision for this incredible thing that then you go on for months, years, however long to, to achieve. So I think, I think for me, it's it, uh, the sort of most rewarding moments of those moments, those moments of collaboration. And also I think, um, I think building and, and developing a team as well, you know, being able to, to, to kind of see people grow into their roles and contribute more and more to the creative culture of, of uh, projects and, and the company where, you, where I work. Um, yeah, I think it's those moments. I, I don't think it's a, a singular thing that I can claim, that I can lay claim to. Um, it's more things that I've helped happen with other people, those, those kind of alchemy, those moments of alchemy, those moments of magic. Um, I think for me, that's that's always the most rewarding part of the project. Um, yeah, definitely. That's very interesting. So how does design affect your everyday life? Um, these are very broad questions. <laughs> I can go, no, no, I know, I know, I can come at them for a minute. Yeah. Already, but yeah. it could be just to take us on a journey about, about you know, your, your ideas and, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I think all designers would say that they're curious. Uh, I, I think that's a real um, it, it, uh, a, a sort of character trait you have to have to, to be, well, to be a, any creative, I think, but certainly a designer. I think you have to be curious about the way things work or the way things could work. You have to question things. I think it goes back to me, you know, dismantling the radio. I think that was maybe, I didn't really know why I was doing it, but it was me subconsciously sort of trying to understand something and look behind I want to know how it works. I want I want to know how the radio actually work, works. What's it made of? And it was the moment you opened it up and you saw this stuff inside it that it sort of, I remember it blowing my mind a little bit. So I think curiosity is a huge part of that. And I think that's something that you don't turn on and turn off. It's not a nine to five thing. Or, you know, you go into your studio and you're curious and then you leave and you're no longer curious. So I think that's a mindset. So I think... Um, I think design has always affected my life in that way. I just maybe didn't always know it. Um, but I think that that curiosity, and I think when you learn and practice design, you learn a lot about the world. You learn a lot about, um, you know, how the world's built, uh, you know, primarily. But also, you know, in, in the, the, the field that I'm in, where we do a lot of international projects, museums, cultural projects, you you kind of learn how governments work. You learn how things are funded. You learn, uh, you know, how governments push funding towards education and and what their plans, not just for now, but but the the future are. 
Um, you also learn about audiences. You learn about what they engage with and what they don't engage with. And you also learn about the subjects that you exhibit. You know, so one minute we're doing exhibition about, well, sight loss. The next, uh, an experience all about human mobility um, or, um, uh, uh, you know, the planets and the solar system. Um, you know, you get to learn a lot about the world from lots of different um, perspectives. So I think... It's the sort of, I guess, giant version of of me dismantling the radio and trying to put it back together. I guess for the last 20 years, I've been trying to put the radio back together in different ways. Um, you know, so, but yeah, I think, I think for me, and I think then you realise how design affects everyone's life, you know, and it's not always exciting. It's, uh, you know, I remember uh, my tutor in, in the first year, this was always one of the things that stuck with me. I think, again, at the time, I was like, no, nah, that's nonsense. Um, but I, it's always resonated with me where uh, I remember he said that, you know, the ultimate form of design is a toothbrush. You know, it's like if you can design a toothbrush and if you can make it the best damn toothbrush that's ever worked functionally, but you can also make it beautiful. That is that's as high as that's a high that's high as achievement as you can get. You know, as a designer, that is the absolute pinnacle. That's the apotheosis of where you can get as a designer. And I was like, what a toothbrush? Nah, that's boring. I want to design this. I want to design that. But but thinking back, you know, he's right. And in, in that everything is designed, you know, around us, every single thing we use. And I think, unfortunately, more often than not, you notice design when it's bad. You notice it when it doesn't work, particularly in industrial design. When it works, it, it's sort of, it's almost mundane because it, you take it for granted. Well, that's the thing that facilitates my life. I think when you move it into a larger scale, when you move into experiential, you move into architecture and things like that, I think the success of design becomes a much broader uh, expression, a much broader canvas. And I think you can kind of, um, you know, uh, you, well, I guess you can show off a little bit more. Maybe there's a little bit more room for, um, you know, the, the flamboyant personality of designer. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why I moved into more spatial design because it was a, it was a larger canvas um but i think there's pitfalls you can fall into with that as well because things can very easily become ego projects and again in my slightly advancing years now um ego projects never work <laughs> you know um yeah but no i think i think design it i think it affects all of our lives but for me it, it always comes back to curiosity i think mm. So who has been your biggest influence? You talked about your tutor and uh, who, who, who has influenced you the most? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't think it's any one individual person. I think lots of people have influenced me in very different ways throughout my life and throughout my career. I think if you put them all next to each other, they probably wouldn't get on particularly well because I think they're all very, very different. Um, you know, I think both my parents, without a doubt, you know, uh, just from a young age, always seeing my dad making things and, you know, drawing things, but to a very technical, precise level. But then my mum, you know, doing huge, big canvases and, you know, painting like kind of big abstract pieces and, you know, uh, and, but I, I, what was interesting is I always remember feeling slightly intimidated by both of them because I looked at my dad and what he did and I was like, wow, how does he do that? Uh, and I looked at my mum and doing this huge stuff and I was like, well, you know, how does she do that? But they were, they were, They were sort of very opposite things, but in a way they weren't because they were both conjuring and creating things, but just in different ways. 
So I think that that's always been something that's influenced me. And and again, I think they were both very, very, uh, or both are still very curious uh, about the world and sort of want to learn about things and always looking for interesting stories and interesting bits of knowledge in order to try and um, learn more about the world and, and, and sort of, I don't know, develop themselves as people and I always thought that was quite fascinating I, I always felt naive compared to them uh, which I think was a good thing you know slightly intimidated but <laughs> slightly naive but also slightly inspired mm-hmm. so I think that was great and I think that was something that again when I was a kid I didn't really realize was happening but now I look back on it and still have those influences um, yeah and I do think my uh, my tutors at college were um, were, were were, were great you know um uh again when i was early at, at college i probably didn't agree with that um I, I pretty much disagreed with every single thing that they said but that was my my own naivety i'm sure they've heard it all before from you know kind of young cocky students coming and thinking that they're the next uh you know jean nouvelle or whatever or philippe stark um but no i think there's sort of lessons that 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 they imparted at the time that I maybe I didn't agree with but now I I I actually realized were very wise I think there was one uh it was my tutor in in the I think it was in the second year that he said this a guy called Ray and I remember him saying um the scariest thing to a designer is a blank sheet of paper I always remember that and my instant reaction was like no that's ridiculous like how what a stupid thing to say a blank sheet of paper is opportunity and it's it's like freedom and it's like someone gives me a blank sheet of paper, I can't wait to create something on that piece of paper. You know, at the time, that was my reaction. Uh, uh, but now I actually think back and I think, you know what, you're right, because that's what design is. You know, it's not fine art where you literally just, you just put you on a piece of paper. A blank sheet of paper means no direction. It means... There's, there's, you know, which way do I go? You know, it's a void. You know, I need influence. I need direction to create a piece of design that is relevant, that works. So I think that was a, a lesson. It took me a long time to learn, I think. But I remember being told that. Um, you know, and then obviously my career, um, you know, uh, as um, a guy that gave me my job at Met, what's his company, Alex, um, who you know is one of the most sort of ferocious <laughs> individuals I think I've ever come across uh, as this very kind of rambunctious Glaswegian character. But I just remember from the moment I met him, I was like, okay, yeah, you're someone I want to work with. You know, you're just fearless and hugely creative, massively ambitious. Um, but just really uh, so much heart and soul and spirit and passion for what he does and what he wants to do. And uh, yeah, that that for me was a big turning point in my career, I think, because it was like, okay, yeah, this is the path I want to take, you know? Uh, and I, I probably spent a lot of my career trying to be like him and then realized very quickly, I'm not him. Uh, because I'm, you know, not as Sean Connery-esque as <laughs> as he is. Um, but it sort of inspired me to create my own personality through what I do uh, without being arrogant and without being um, dictatorial. I think that's important. But to kind of inspire others through, you know, being a little bit fearless and not being afraid to challenge things. 
um, but also, you know, being being very professional. And I think that for me was a, a huge influence in terms of how you can actually approach creative work. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. What what principles do you, do you adhere to as a designer? Um, yeah, I think collaboration is probably for me is 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 the um, is the first thing. Um, I think particularly in in the field that I work in, which is experiential, because it's so it has to be so collaborative. It's lots and lots of different crafts. It's architecture. It's interiors. It's um, technology interaction sculpture commission pieces conservation script writing etc 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 there's a huge cast of um experts that you need to not only create but also um uh execute projects so i think i think collab collaboration from the outset is really really important i think bringing people in at the right moment is is also very very important otherwise it can become a bit of a soup you know a bit of a free-for-all but um uh, but no i th i think collaboration i also think in terms of how to manage a, or run a design team i think that's really important i think it's how you get the best out of people is you make them feel valued you make them feel that they're part of a of a team they're not just there to churn out cad or to do their little piece of it that they get a say and they have a voice and and i think that's really really important um that that kind of collaborative um philosophy i also think um it sounds obvious, but I think listening is really, really important as well. Um, again, it's something Alex used to always say to me. He always he used to say, uh, never work for a company that's named after a person <laughs> uh, because it's the voice of that person. You know, I'm not sure that's universally true. Um, I don't know, but but I, I, I think it's an interesting point of view um, because it's, I think if you dictate too much uh, and it's just the voices and the opinions of a single person, I think things can, ne they, they, they're never as good as they can be, but at the same time, it can't be a, it can't be a committee um, and it, it can't be a free for all. There needs to be somebody guiding the process, you know, uh, who understands the vision of where you're trying to get to, but allow flexibility in that process that other people can challenge it and move it in the direction it needs to move in. Um, was it, um, I can't remember, it was a film director um, who said, um, a, a camel is a horse designed by committee. Um, I think it was Terry Gilliam actually who said that. And I thought oh, that, that's always sort of very interesting, I think, um, in, terms of how, uh, in, uh, in terms of how you approach it. So I think, yeah, I, I think listening is really, really important um, in in our uh, in our world because you know our jobs don't belong to us; they belong to our clients. You know, and we can't let our own ego get in the way of that. You know, we have to push things and elevate things, but at the end of the day, our jobs need to serve a function and need to meet the needs of our clients. And if we can elevate them beyond that and give them something that you know maybe they thought wasn't even possible and exceed their expectations, then great. That's what we're all trying to do. But ultimately. Uh, everything we do has to come from our clients coming to us with a, a problem or a challenge or a vision, us listening to that and then doing what we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. What has been your biggest mistake? <laughs> um, that's like when in an interview where someone says, what's your weakness? What's your biggest weakness? And you say like, Oh, you know, sometimes I care too much. <laughs> sometimes I work too hard, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, um, 
I don't know. I think I thought uh, I actually thought a lot about this question over the years um, because I've made so many mistakes. You know, individual mistakes like you know, oh, I made a mistake in a drawing, or I mean, I made some howlers in the past. You know, and of course, always there was always an excuse. Oh, the you know, vector works didn't work properly, and so on. Yeah, you know, uh, you always learn from the mistakes. I think I I, I make a point of not forgetting them because they were quite painful, but I always remind myself of how I felt when that happened so that I don't ever forget it. So it doesn't ever happen again. I think that's quite an important thing. It's slightly masochistic, but um, it seems to work. But um, I don't know. I think it's probably not listening to my instincts, I think, Mm. actually, or being, being being afraid not to speak a truth or being afraid to not say what I think or how I feel or that kind of thing. I think that probably is the recurring thing as you know, there's obviously technical mistakes that I think everyone makes, but you know, they can always be resolved. You know, something's in the wrong place. Something's the wrong size. Okay. We'll fix it. It might mean this. It might mean that might have to swallow my pride a little bit, but, but we can fix it. But I think fundamental decisions where I know something is not right, but I'm like, oh, it'll probably be okay. And then it's not okay. And then all of a sudden it's quite a nuclear problem, you know? Um, And I think that's happened. It's happened quite a few times in my career personally, where maybe I've taken a job where I knew I kind of shouldn't, but I did anyway. And then it just didn't work out or worked, uh, collaborated with a certain individual knowing this doesn't quite feel right. But I now I find I'll make it work, and then it just never does. Um, or, or on projects, you know, where it's like, okay, there's an idea that we're going with, and it's like, okay, yeah, it just doesn't feel right to me. But I don't want to upset the team, or I don't want to upset the client, or I'm just going to go along with it. Um, and I think when I get that sort of slight burning feeling in a pit in my stomach about something, to to not ignore it, because the problem with it is sometimes it means. Uh, quite a challenging situation because you have to sort of uproot things or you have to maybe upset people or you have to make the process more difficult or you have to delay things there's always a consequence to it but I think ultimately uh yeah not listening to my instincts probably the biggest mistake there's quite a few moments where I think that's mm, I, I should have spoken up about that sooner um and then it became a problem or, or the end result isn't quite what it should be and that's down to me because I didn't say what I should have said at that time you know it's very easy to blame someone else in that situation you know because you can sort of say well you know uh, uh but you know it's not my fault um but it's like yeah but you didn't say anything so you're you're apathetic about it. you know you're, you're kind of um culpable in that in that regard I think but yeah I think that probably is quite an ambiguous answer I might have sort of politicians oh. answer slightly oh, but um Absolutely. yeah I, I think for me that probably is Always, always the biggest mistakes to that. I don't listen to that horrible feeling you get here. <laughs> Should designers be expected to solve everything? Um, I think they can have a go. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I think, I think that's what's amazing about designers um, when you meet when you meet them from all different, you know, walks of life, and you get two designers talking. They might design completely different things. There's, and there's the the they always sort of get along because again, it's that sort of fascination with things. And, and I think, uh, you know, 
when designers get a bit older, maybe get a bit grumpy. I don't think I'm quite there yet. Maybe another 10, 20 years and I'll be there. But you get sort of grumpy and you get a bit cynical. But you're always still up for the next brief. I think that's it. Every single new brief is like a new job. You know, no matter how bad the last one was, the worst project that, that you know, awful client, awful team, everything went wrong. The thing burnt to the ground. You know, you didn't end up in prison. <laughs> uh, the next brief comes along. It's like, right, this time we're going to nail it. This time it's all going to be brilliant, you know. And I think that's the sort of spirit that designers have. So I think, I don't think designers can solve everything. Uh, you know, you can't make a magic wand. Some things can't be solved, you know. But I think the intention is there. And I think designers will always have a go at solving a problem. Give them a problem and a designer will try and solve it because that's the craft. It's creativity and it's problem solving combined or artistry and problem solving combined. You know, so, yeah, I think they'll have a bloody good go is what I would say. <laughs> so how do you see the future of design? Um, yeah, it's, it, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a tricky one. I think... I think things are certainly getting faster and more demanding. I think technology plays a huge role. That technology in, in comms, I think, plays a huge role in that. Um, you know, in the, uh, I mean, if you look at not that long ago, you know, probably what twenty five years ago, you know, when I was sort of starting out at uni, um, most things were done by hand. You know. Um, Email was well barely even existed. I think in 25 years ago it didn't exist, uh, except for in MIT and places like that. You know, and it, things were done on the phone. Things were done on drawing board. I remember my first, you know, work experience project. You know, and having this huge translucent, you know, AO rolled up drawing. Um, you know, and doing everything with with fine liner pens. You know, and then you make a mistake, you got to scrub it out with a little scalpel and redo it. And it took forever. It took it, it was such a long process. And you overlay the other layer and you trace the old one to make amendments. And everything was then rolled up and filed away. And you know, everything was dusty. And and it was it was a really really uh, hands on crafted but but quite laborious and lengthy process. You know, and I went to uni and, you know, the rise of CAD, you know, um, I remember in the second year, you know, like learning 3 Studio Max and just like my whole world was blown to pieces because I could create this incredible Pixar-like, you know, thing in an afternoon, you know, how look, it's going to save so much time and we can do this and we can do that. And, and, I, and I think that sort of, it made things a lot quicker. Um, but then, of course, what comes with that, the overhead of that is that... Um, you have to do twice the amount of work in the same amount of time now. So then things become faster and faster and faster. And I think now, you know, with the advent of things like BIM process and things are much more integrated in terms of a design process, which makes our life easier. And it means that we can execute more accurate results. Um, and we, we can, you know, mitigate mistakes and errors and additional costs and uh, things that cause delays later in the process. Um, which is great, but it, it means that the pressure is on reducing budgets and reducing time so that you can do more in, in a small amount of time. I think um, I think in the future that there's a lot of benefits though to this. I think flexibility is a thing that's great. I mean, I think the days of people being judged on how long they spend at their desk are gone. I think, you know, the last two years in particular, you know, with the pandemic have proved that, 
you know, the old school, the old guard, it's all very much, if you're not sat at your desk, you're not working. If people working from home, they're scoving off. You know, our team, uh, you know, were, I think, more productive um, during during that period, uh, you know, because they were they were really, really focused on, on what they were doing. Um, and I think the communication methods, you know, the teams being able to stay in touch remotely, but all using digital technology, you know, as, as we are now and having quite in-depth workshops, creative conversations are, are using this comms technology. So I think I think there's sort of international collaborations, I think, are going to be a lot more in the future. Um, but I think people are sadly going to be expected to do more for less, you know, and I think. I think that is something that's happening. And I think as a design community, we can, we need to try and protect, uh, well, the, the sort of sanity, I suppose, and the well-being of young people starting out in the industry, um, you know, so that designers don't lose their personality and don't, don't lose the ability to, well, to, to fiddle around and tinker with things and to express themselves through what they do. Take time to think and to fiddle, you know, um, I think I think that's really really important. Um, but I think the flexibility that is coming in the future or is happening right now, I think, will help that. You know, but I think it'd be interesting to see how different people adopt it and different people use it. That's brilliant. How do you relate to design awards? Are they are they important? Uh, sorry, a, a design awards. An award. Yes. Oh, awards. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's nice to get awards. You know, it's a bit of an ego trip at times. But you know, designers are also show offs. That's one of the reasons I became a designer. I want to create things and go, look how good this thing is that I created. You know, uh, it's nice to get recognition of that. And I think, um, I think ego aside, I think they are important. I think they're definitely. It's definitely healthy to be judged by your peers, I think, not just by your clients. So I think I think they do do that to a degree. Um, I also think it, it's very good for um, recruitment of new talent. So if you can, you know, if you can get the red dots and the DNADs and and things like that, and and sort of show the world that you are of a creative standard, then that means you are going to, you're going to get a lot of the best talent knocking on your door. And I think that's important. I, I mean, I, I don't think that they're, they're the, the only measure of the quality output of studios by any means. Um, I think a lot of awards, particularly in what, in what we do, uh, they, they can be quite expensive. You know, you have to pay quite large fees to enter them. They can also be, there's a bit of a trick, you know, you get the right photos, you write the right press release, you position the project in a certain way because you know that that body is going to like that style. So I think they can be manipulated to a degree. Um, not all of them, you know, they work in different ways in terms of how their judge, judging panels work and their different processes and things like that. Um, uh, but but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, there's definitely a a, a a place for them um, for sure in terms of um, being judged by your peers, which I think is always important. Um, yeah. So, what what other skills are needed in design? Like, uh, um, I mean, I think yeah. I, I, coming back to what what we we're talking about earlier, I think curiosity is is so important. I think you've got to be curious about the world. You've got to look want to understand 
behind things, how things work, uh, how things function, what makes things successful or not, how audiences work, you know, what they respond to, you know, particularly in, in, in what I do in, in interpretational or experiential design, you know, how people absorb information, what they remember, what they don't remember, what inspires them, what moves them. Um, I, I think that's really important, you know, as well as that, uh, uh, as well as the all of the other technical skills that come with that, um, you know, in terms of there's a lot you need to learn, particularly these days, you've got to learn a lot of software packages, you have to be able to execute your work, uh, you can come up with an amazing idea if you can't execute it, it's not really worth anything. But again, that comes back to the curiosity to learn different techniques so you can express your work in different ways. I think that's important. And I think um, artistic ability, I think, is is very, very important. And I think what I mean by that is you don't necessarily need to be able to draw. I think there's a little bit of a misconception between uh, being very, very creative and very artistic and just being able to draw something immaculately, you know, like a still life or something like that. I think I know quite a few people that are incredible crafts people they can draw something absolutely beautifully and immaculately effortlessly but maybe aren't the best if you give them the brief or uh, all the blank sheet of paper and go you know come up with something conjure something out of nothing or, or respond to a brief and and look deeply into it and understand it and come up with something and and the flip side to that is I know quite a few people that are pretty terrible at drawing you know, uh, you know, they try and draw a horse and it ends up looking like a, well, I don't know, like a goat. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but that have hugely creative and innovative minds and can come up with fantastic ideas. And I think that's the beauty of design, particularly nowadays, is that there's so many tools that you can use to express your ideas. Um, that it, it, it isn't just reliant on you being able to draw your idea in order to express it. I think it's it's a very useful skill to have, um, but I think being artistic and being creative and innovative um, so that you can take the bits and pieces and the tools at your disposal and conjure something and express something through those. Um, you know, and I, I think that's what design is. Uh, again, it's it's taking things that exist and rearranging them to create something or taking knowledge of things, research, looking at things in, in granular detail and really fundamentally getting to the essence and the core of what something should be of a problem or an issue or a challenge or an objective and then going, okay, well, this answer is relevant for these reasons. So I think there's a rigor involved in that. And then having the skills, whether it be hand drawing or CAD or, you know, montage or whatever it is, to be able to clearly express that and communicate it. So I think they're the, the, the kind of fundamental skills. Uh, and obviously the execution of that varies greatly depending on which discipline of design you're practicing. But I think that process is always, uh, is always true, I think. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So how do you maintain your enthusiasm and inspiration? <laughs> um i i think it it uh it's hard at times <laughs> it's a challenging industry i mean it really is but no i think i think it's just the variety i think that's what it is um you know and what's interesting is a lot of designers when they find uh, an agency or practice that they like tend to stay there for quite a long time um because you're not you're you're not just shoveling coal into a into an engine you know um 
or you know spinning in a wheel you, every single day is a new challenge every single client is different every brief is different there's always new people you're collaborating with uh, so it's like having a new job you know every few months when you get a new project uh, and obviously you know the more se senior up you go you're looking at new briefs and new collaborators every single day you know so there's there's that infinite variety in it and as that's happening uh the the industry itself is evolving and is changing and there's new techniques that that people are discovering and new ways of doing things and new problems to solve um uh, uh new perspectives and new ideas and i think it's constantly refreshing itself our industry and i think that's what that's what makes it great and i think it's being open to that that i think keeps enthusiasm uh, it's very easy to close off and say, no, that's how I design and I've done it for 20 years and uh, that's how I'm always going to do it. Being open to that, again, it comes back to that collaborative attitude um, uh, to, to keep things interesting and keep things fresh. But do you believe there is a tendency of things that are looking the same in a way? Like yeah, I, I, I think um, I, I think very much so. And I, I, I think it can come from... Uh, was sort of trends, fashion, zeitgeist, call it whatever you want to call it. But I think it can come from a lot of tools in our industry. Um, I, I remember, uh, you know, when I graduated and it was the sort of, it was the rise of, you know, the uh, V-Ray rendering and NURBS modeling and all this kind of funky stuff. Uh, but everything sort of started to look like that. Everything started to go a bit wibbly, <laughs> you know, and all these kind of organic, beautiful organic shapes. Everything started to look like a 3D Max render. Um, and, and and that was certainly something that that happened for a long time. And I think I think a lot of architects, you know, developed entire aesthetics from this, you know, created beautiful, stunning, amazing things. I'm not... I'm not sure of their sustainability credentials, but you know that's that that's something else. But um, yeah, and I, I think there can be a tendency to do that in that to to follow trends. And I think I think a lot of um, again, maybe I'm getting grumpier as I'm, I'm getting more, you know, uh, uh, as I'm getting more experience in my career. But I think certainly at creative director level, there is a tendency to to bullshit. I think I think there is that. I think there's a tendency to use words but not actually that don't actually have any meaning uh, you know i think this is a corporate thing as well like there's management speak you know things like that but i think there is a there is a tendency at creative director level to do this to use these little tricks and to use these little things that are, are sort of oh yes that's clever oh yes i never thought about it like that you know like um uh and it's it sort of you know it's it, it to the client, you're pulling a rabbit out of a hat, but actually, no, you just said that same thing to the last 10 clients and it's, it's the same thing. And using sort of industry buzzwords and I, I'm sort of trying to think of one off the top of my head, but I'm not sure I can at the moment. Um, uh, also, you know, people that the metaverse is the latest one, actually. Everyone's saying, oh yeah, we need to consider what we're doing in the metaverse, but they sort of leave it there. And it's like, okay, well, but what does that mean? Let's break that down a bit more. Let's be designers. Let's use our analytical minds to break it down. Oh, no, but I just mean, uh, no, just, just sort of mean the metaverse. I mean the digital digital landscape. And there's just more words for it, right? There's not the actual beef as to what it really is and what it means and how we can use it and how we can innovate with it. Because as a designer, I'm like, no, but we need to make something. We need to create something. We can't just say something. You know, uh, and I think it, it's... <laughs> 
it's the sort of, I guess, creative director's equivalent of when most people taste wine, you know, and he's like wine words, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh yeah, well that's, that's quite jammy, isn't it? And oh, it's quite this, it's quite that. And it's sort of, you know that it's close enough to the mark, but you're, you're using it because it's going to hide the fact that you don't really know what you're talking about, you know? Um, and, and I think there is a little bit of a tendency to that. And I think trying to cut through that is, can be can be difficult but i think more often than not those terms or those that that approach to creativity can make things quite generic because you're not cutting to the quick of what it, what it is you're trying to do and then expand out from that and that's when you create things that are truly unique and make a difference you know it it can just be about someone trying to sound clever in a meeting and then they leave the meeting and i was like, oh that was really clever wasn't it and then, you know, in the next meeting, when you sit down with engineers and things like that, they're like, oh, no, no, we're not going to do that because it didn't work. Anyway, we're going to do this. And it's sort of forgotten, you know, because they're in another meeting saying the metaverse again. <laughs> um, but, I, yeah, I, I think I don't think that's anything new, to be honest. I think there's just more ammunition. There's more oxygen. There's more bullshit terms that you can use now. Uh, things that are imagined that haven't quite happened yet. And you mention it in a meeting and you sound cool and clever. Um you know, and then the meeting finishes and then you go to another meeting, you know. I, I I must admit, I've done it myself quite a few times where you're in a bit of a jam in a meeting and you're like, oh, yeah, we should consider the metaverse. <laughs> we have, we have, we but, yeah, then I cry myself to sleep. <laughs> we have this defense tool to use when we are squeezed a little bit, but, yes, it shouldn't be overused sometimes. Uh, so what is a single piece of advice you would give to anyone starting out as a designer and as well that advice to a client? Um, yeah, I, again, I mean, there's, there's so many things to say, um, but I think it, I, I think collaboration, I think it does come down to that. Don't be afraid to, you know, put your own ego aside and collaborate with someone else and uh and listen and learn i think for, for particularly for for young designers i think it's so it's so so fundamental to don't don't think that you're the, the you know god's gift i think i did when i <laughs> when i graduated i definitely thought i was god's gift uh and you know yeah okay it might have got me a a job or two but i don't it it i think it did hold me back ultimately because I, I was a bit resistant to criticism. I was a bit resistant to collaboration. Um, and the best, the best steps I've made, the best work that, that, that uh, I've done with, with my team has always been from that. It's always been putting my ego aside and, and collaborating. Um, and then, you know, the more kind of, the more you advance in your career, the more you, you champion that, you know, the more you, you start to build teams around that ethos and, yield uh you know good results um and I, I think it's the same for clients i think you know it, it it's for them to because it can be really daunting for clients i think hiring design agencies you know uh, i think especially if it's something that they're new to i think when we work with a lot of museums they're very used to it you know because they have in-house design teams and they also they they commission designers all the time they know the drill they know the process but i think when you're doing when clients are doing it for the first time it can be incredibly daunting and i think um they sort of don't they, it can be hard to know for them where the line is do we just let the designer do what they want 
or do we micromanage them? And I think that, well, the point is it's a balance. You have to be able to listen to each other. You know, you can't let your designer run amok and, and, and just do, you know, what the hell they want to do because it would be chaos. But at the same time, you can't, you can't stifle their creativity and, and, uh, and their expertise by, by, by dictating to them. So I think it's, it's, it's a collaborative relationship, giving clear direction, but then allowing that to be challenged. And I think that works both ways. That works for a designer onto a client and from a client on, on, uh, onto a designer. And that relationship is so important. I think that's another good piece of advice is building those relationships. Because the moment you have that relationship, you can kind of speak your truth. Um, and I think that's I think that's important. You know, in the age we live in now, I think truth is something that is hard to come by. I think um, you know, coming back to the the kind of creative director <laughs> bullshit buzzwords, but but I think trying to get to truth is really really important. And sometimes the truth is difficult because it means we can't afford this. We don't have enough time to do this or it's not right or it's not this or it's not that. But once you get to it, you can then think, okay, well, what can we do and how can we innovate with this and how can we do something incredible? Um, you know, and again, that's, that's designer and client's responsibility to get to that truth. That is wonderful. Really, really. Um, and what is finally, what is the most important thing you have discovered as a designer? Um, I, I, I think it's linked to that last point. I think, I, I, I think it is, uh, I think it's to the, the, uh, design in particular, um, you have to find truths in it. You have to find tangible things because you're making something at the end of it, you know? Um, uh, and I think not, not that, uh, that design can't be, you know, high art as well. Not that it can't ask questions, But those questions, again, they come from something real. They come from putting your finger right on, this is what we're trying to say. This is what we're trying to achieve. What is the best answer for that? And, uh, and, and I, think, I think for me, that's kind of, it always comes back to that. You know? And all of the things that we've talked about, about being curious and about being collaborative and about being challenging and um, about being passionate, about being flexible, all of these things, they're all ways to get to that truth and not being afraid of what that truth is again you know you asked me what my my sort of biggest mistake was it's it's ignoring that truth it's it's not listening to that feeling where i kind of know that this is the way it actually is but i'm for whatever reason i'm afraid to say it um so i think i think for me that's probably the the biggest lesson learned in it that it all it all seems to orbit around that you know, uh, but it, it, it's not easy. It's a difficult thing to get to. But I think the creative process is getting to that. And then what design does, design allows you to expand it and express it as a thing, whether it's a space or a product or an experience or, you know, uh, an aesthetic or, you know, whatever it is, but it's got to come from that truth. If you don't have that, you will not, you're not going to get anywhere. I think that's what it is. And that it has to be getting to that that fundamental essence or truth of of what it what what it is the hell that we're trying to achieve you know through a project um yeah i i i think that's um that's probably the most important lesson i've learned you know um maybe it does come back to raised blank sheet of paper <laughs> i think it does because there's no truth in it there's like well what is it it's nothing there's nothing there 
you know, um, yeah, so maybe he was right. I think he might have been. The, the fine artist would say you have to make it a burnt umber, you know, you're a bit of brown and, you know. Not, uh, well, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, Peter, you've been extremely articulate. Uh, really enjoyed uh, uh, this conversation. And thank you so much for coming. No, thank you. It's 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 uh, it's been my pleasure. I hope we didn't uh, ramble on too much or oh, make people too well, depressed. Thank you. <laughs> thank, you. thank you so much. Thank you. No, thank you very much. You're welcome. It's uh, yeah, it's been great.